me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. I'm going to finish the series that we've been in entitled Belong, Believe, and Become. And this morning's message is entitled Becoming is a Verb. Our call as Christians... Praise the Lord. That's a cool ringtone. You're going to have to send that to me. (laughs) I could hear that from up here. Hallelujah. (laughs) Our call as Christians is to share God's grace, not decide who gets it. That's been the premise of this series. We've discovered really that this is a new paradigm for us. This idea of belonging and believing and becoming. We allow people to come as they are, literally. We allow individuals to be honest and vulnerable. In this new paradigm, it says that anyone can belong, regardless of their orientation, regardless of their beliefs, regardless of whether they're even Christians. They're included, they're loved, they're embraced, they're welcomed into the community of Genesis. It's a different paradigm. Then after belonging, their ears and their eyes are truly open to hear about Jesus and The church is called to demonstrate through signs and wonders and miracles and most of all its love what this Jesus is really about and whether he is who he claims to be. And then it's after that that people really, through this process and this journey, begin to become. And that's where there's real transformational process. Barb, if we could put up this slide that shows us the process of being, or excuse me, belonging, believing, and becoming. With belonging, we have a lot of acceptance and love. With believing, we have the embrace of God and the embrace of community. And we begin to experience His Holy Spirit. And then something begins to happen where we become a different person. And this speaks of transformation and Christ-likeness. And I understand that there's a messy side to belonging. And as we spoke about last week that you can go ahead and bring that up as we spoke about last week we we're in transition we're it's not static belonging believing becoming is a dynamic in fact becoming's a verb it's 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 an ongoing process and i thank god for that because I've messed up so much and if it was just about belonging and and trying to figure it out but never really grabbing a hold of believing into we spoke about that last week we believe into it's not a static thing it's a progressive thing how we believe into Christ we don't just mentally assent that the Bible's a good book we don't mentally assent that Jesus lived on the earth at one time we believe into him If you really believe in God, there's something transformational about that believing. You you cannot stay the same if you really believe in Jesus Christ. Your life is going to change. But that's messy. Some have confused my comments about grace illustrated in the Gospels and the grace taught in the epistles. And I understand that the grace that's illustrated in the Gospels and that the grace taught in the epistles has some dichotomies to it, some seeming issues. 
For instance, there was a woman caught in adultery that they brought to Jesus and they threw her on the ground in front of him and were challenging Jesus with what the law taught about how to treat this woman. And you know the story. It's famous movies have been made about this. We remember the scene so so clearly from the uh, movie by Mel Gibson about the Christ. And this scene in particular was so strong as that woman then is there before Jesus. And Jesus says, let he who is among you that's without sin cast the first stone. And nobody does. And he reaches down and he says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Go on your way. What grace that was of our Lord. But then we wrestle with that grace and the grace that Paul championed in the New Testament, in the epistles, when he says regarding a man who is in adultery with his father's wife in the church, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be, sir, uh, may be saved. It's difficult to understand. Lord, if you've called us to journey, if, if you've called us to come alongside those who are struggling in their relationship, Lord, I, I don't understand why you told the woman who was caught in adultery she's forgiven, but Paul says, put the man out of the church who's been sleeping with his father's wife. And I want to help you this morning with this just before we move on to the verb of becoming so that you're clear. Because the Bible does not contradict itself. And Paul, who championed grace in the New Testament, understood clearly what Jesus taught about grace. This isn't speaking about the sinner in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5. This isn't speaking about the believer who is in process but is ignorant about how to live. This isn't speaking. Paul's words are not speaking or addressing the believer who may be bound by habit but is crying out to the Heavenly Father regularly in brokenness for transformation. Paul is speaking about the believer and the church community, by the way, who have become nonchalant with sin dismissive of God's nature and character. They're no longer pursuing the kingdom in a transformational way. Someone asked me this past week, well, what, what about walking with someone in their journey and accepting them the way that they are? Please understand that this man that Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 was no longer on a journey of faith. His journey no longer represented faith and brokenness and crying out to God, even though he might be bound by a sin. It represented a hardened heart, a compromising heart, one that no longer believed they needed cleansing by the blood of Jesus. And the church was catering to that. And Paul said, you are not wise. Put him out of the church. But it was that same apostle who by the very next letter he wrote to the Corinthians said, look, He's been gone long enough, bringing back in to fellowship, lest he be too broken and his spirit be broken and you lose him. Bringing back in, he's repented. It was the same Paul. And so indeed we experience from the scripture that there are two realities to becoming. Two realities to becoming. Number one, what we have become. And number two, what we are becoming. 
You see, what we have become is spelled out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Now, it's, I'm reading it from the Amplified Translation, and so we'll have it on the screen here for you. Let's look at it together. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh, the new has come. Now, that's a past tense event. When you receive Christ, you become a new creature. That's powerful, folks. When you receive Jesus, he takes your old man and completely does away with it. All of its desires, all of its sinfulness, all that made it the old man, he, he does away with it. And the Bible says we become a new creation. Literally in the Greek language, a species that never existed before. And each one of you in Christ is unique. There's not another one like you. He loves you uniquely and you are unique. Now that happens when you receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Confessing your sins, repenting and turning the other way and receiving Christ. It happens immediately. He takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and puts you into the kingdom of his dear son. And you are born again. You become a new creature. We also find this same becoming past tense in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. Let's look at it together on the screen. His divine power has granted to us, notice, His divine power has, past tense, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us into His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Notice it's past tense. He's already given us everything that pertains to life and to godliness. He's already given us his precious promises by which we can become a partaker of his new nature or his, excuse me, divine nature. Now, in that one sentence, partaker of his divine nature, we begin to learn. We begin to get a glimpse into this second reality. That becoming is both past tense, I have become, but becoming is also present tense, I'm moving into. It's a verb. I am becoming. And that's where often believers in Christ fall down. You see, it, it's okay to be in process, but it's not okay to remain a spiritual infant. Join me in the book of Hebrews, please. The book of Hebrews, chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse 14. Actually, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Now, wait a minute. Who is he speaking to? Sinners or Christians? Those who don't know, don't know God and haven't experienced God yet, or those who have already come to faith? He's speaking to those who have already come to faith. They've been on, not only on a journey, but they've been Christians now for many years. Get this. 
About this we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment strained or, excuse me, trained by constraint and by continual practice. I love that. So it's okay to be an infant if you're a newborn. It's okay to exhibit immature qualities as a Christian early in your journey. But if you've been a Christian now for 10 15, 20 years, the Bible says that God's expectation of us is that we would grow, that we would mature, that our abilities, that our discernment between right and wrong would increase. We'd exercise it. That's our responsibility, not His. We have to exercise our discernment. We have to stay in the Word of God. We have to learn what it's about so that we can grow. In fact, he says that his goal for us is to get to the place where we know him and his Word well enough that we can share it with others and teach them also. Immature Christians can't do that. Now, I expect immature Christians... To still be living in sexual sin. I expect immature Christians to still be bound by drugs and drinking and various habits. I expect that of immature ones that have not been walking with Christ for 15 and 20 years. And have not been exposed to the power of the Holy Spirit. But once you come into contact with a community such as this that believes in the power of the new birth, that believes in the power, the life-changing, transformational power of the Holy Spirit, then something happens in your belonging and your believing that doesn't leave you there. It doesn't leave you in a place of mental ascent. It begins to move you. You begin to be challenged by your new nature. You begin to be challenged by the power of the Holy Spirit that you've been baptized with. And it begins to call you to deeper things. It begins to empower you with the grace to live above darkness. To challenge darkness. To bring the kingdom of God to bear in your situation. And so Paul addresses this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Look at his words here with me. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? God's will is that we move. Becoming is a verb. Becoming means that I don't just stay in the place of belong. Nor do I stay in the place of just grappling with what Jesus said. Now I believe what Jesus said. 
I embrace completely what Jesus said, and now I am obeying what Jesus said, and it's transforming my life. I'm becoming, not, excuse me, I'm not only becoming a new creature, I start living like I'm a new creature. I not only became one who has everything that pertains to life and godliness, I start living like I have everything that pertains to life and to godliness. Dear saints, Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not one of the world religions. Hear me. Christianity is not just another one of the world religions. Christianity is a relationship with the creator of the universe. Christianity is a relationship with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. There are two requisites, two prerequisites to following Jesus. Number one, the commitment to believe whatever he says. And number two, the commitment to obey whatever we've heard. I'm going to repeat that so that you might write it down. There are two prerequisites to following Jesus. Number one, the commitment to believe whatever he says. And number two, the commitment to obey whatever we've heard. And so there's four areas that Christ will deal with our life as we make our way through just belonging and we grapple with believing now into becoming. There's four things that Jesus is going to deal with when we devote ourselves to being a Christ follower and really becoming Christ-like. Number one, he'll deal with our purpose. Number two, he'll deal with our passion for his presence. Number three, he'll deal with our commitment to community. And number four, he'll speak to us about our assignment. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, One day Jesus called together his twelve disciples, and he gave them power and authority to cast out demons and heal all diseases. Did you know that Jesus is still doing that? He is still giving his followers power over sickness and authority to cast out demons. Then he sent them out, to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Verse 6. So they began their circuit of villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. Verse 10. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything that they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds followed him there. They found out where he was going and followed him. And he welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who were sick. Do you see it? 
The kingdom of God is wherever heaven's dominion is being manifested through the power of the Holy Spirit. When the kingdom of God comes, people get healed. When the kingdom of God comes, the devil flees. When the kingdom of God begins to manifest, lives are transformed and people desire. They become passionate about becoming Christ-like. Now, there were a lot of people following Jesus back in his day. On one day, he could have crowds upwards of five and 10,000, and the next day, they'd all be gone, questioning what he had preached. In fact, Jesus really only continually, on any given day, had a church of 12 people. I mean, think about it, 12 disciples. Those are the only ones who were really with him all the time that he could count on. And one day, he turned to them and said, Okay, well, the crowd of five, ten thousand just left me. Are you going to leave too? Now, here was Peter's response. Here's a man of faith, okay? Where would we go? You see, Peter was still in that stage of belonging and believing. He was still wrestling with this man called the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, but he wasn't putting Rome in its place. He, he wasn't ruling like a king. And so it, the disciples were befuddled. They thought, this is a strange person who's come in the name of God to rule as a king, but he's not ruling like a king. He's not setting up his kingdom here. So who is this man? That's where Peter's head was. Where would we go if we left you right now? I mean, we left our boats and our nets. You're, you're providing our, our food. By the way, Jesus was not poor. Anybody who has a ministry large enough that needs a treasurer is not poor. Hello? Jesus was not poor. He had plenty of money to do whatever he needed to do. And by the way, he was paying the, he was, he was paying the salaries of all of the disciples. Where do you suppose that money was coming from? Because they had left everything. But they met a new challenge here in chapter 9. I'm going to take you from belonging and just worrying about whether or not what I'm teaching is right. And now I'm going to give you assignment. I'm going to send you out and I want you to cast out devils and I want you to heal everybody who's sick. Three times in the couple of verses that we read, it mentions the kingdom and healing the sick. Again, I submit to you that the kingdom of God is always being manifested where there's a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. When the power of the Holy Spirit is present, then God's kingdom, heaven, has invaded. Bill Johnson wrote a book on that called When Heaven Invades Earth. I don't know if you realize this or not, but heaven invaded this room this morning. And the dominion of heaven, love like heaven knows it, peace like heaven knows it, power like heaven knows it, freedom from sickness and disease like heaven knows it, came into this room. 
Some of you got healed during that time. Some of you were set free from chains. Others of you received a whole new peace and joy in your life. Why? Because heaven came and began to rule. That's the dominion of God. And it comes when a people will commit themselves to worshiping God, loving the presence of the Holy Spirit, and give themselves to this assignment of healing the sick and delivering people from the oppression of darkness. Four areas of life that Christ is going to address. His purpose for you, His presence in your life, whether or not you're committed to community, and what's your assignment. We find all of these in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 from the New Living Translation. I invite you to join me there, or the passage may be on the screen here behind me. Acts chapter 2, look with me, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's community, and to fellowship, that's community, and to the sharing in meals, and to prayer, that's community, and it's also purpose. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. That's assignment. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. That's purpose. And they sold their property, and they gave their possessions or sold their possessions as well, and they shared the money with those who were in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals together with great joy and generosity. Verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And the Lord added, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Do you see it? Purpose, presence, community, assignment. That's what God is after as we commit ourselves to belonging, believing, and becoming. Becoming is not a noun. Becoming is not stagnant. Becoming is when I wrap my life around God's purpose. When I wrap my life around community. When I accept assignment from the Holy Spirit. And I say, God, use me. I don't want to sit in immaturity. Just grappling and arguing about doctrine. Lord, I want to move forward in the power of your Holy Spirit. I want to be used by you in touching other people. Let me ask you a question. Have we come to Jesus and said, Lord, let me hear what you're saying, and then I'll decide whether I like it or not. I wonder how many of us have done that with the Scripture. Lord, let me hear what you're saying then I'll decide whether I like it or not. You see, that's still back in belonging and believing. Christ followers have chosen to listen to everything he says and follow obediently everything they've heard. Matthew chapter 13. Join me, please. Matthew chapter 13, and I'll begin reading in verse 44. 
Matthew 13, verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned, and he bought it. We're talking this morning about becoming Christ-like, being transformed. We know we're already a new creature. We already have become new, but now we're becoming Christ-like. Now we're becoming ruled by his kingdom. Question, based on what we read here, is Jesus worth losing everything over? Is Jesus worth losing everything over? You say, well, Pastor Jeff, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty strong. I don't, I don't know. Is, is that what Jesus really requires? I mean, after all, I'm, I'm rich, or I like my job, or I enjoy, I enjoy my home, or, man, I don't want to give up the friends I have. And, you know, I, whoa, 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 wait. <laughs> we said that a prerequisite to follow, the two prerequisites to following Jesus were that we were going to hear everything that he says and that we're going to obey everything we've heard. All right, slip back to Luke's gospel. We were there just a moment ago, chapter 9. Let me show you something real quick. Watch this question that's out there that I need you to answer this morning is Jesus worth losing everything for if you say you believe then you have to commit to belonging what does that look like Jesus describes it verse 23 of Luke's gospel chapter 20, uh, chapter 9 then he said to the crowd if any of you wants to be my follower, follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you imagine how many people I would run off if I regularly got up in front of the crowd and preached that? Turn from your selfish ways. <laughs> Boy, it's, it's really not very seeker sensitive, is it? It's not very politically correct doesn't seem to be very Holy Ghost but now Jesus says he said to the crowd and I can just see his disciples going no no Jesus no don't say that you're gonna run them all off and Jesus is saying I'm not interested in numbers I'm interested in disciples but Jesus you want us to go on assignment and bring people to you yes but I said go make disciples not just believers. I want them to become becomers. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Verse 25. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels I tell you the truth some of you standing here right now will not die before they see 
the kingdom of God. And indeed that happened on the day of Pentecost. 120 of them witnessed heaven invading earth. And they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they turned around and began to do the works of Jesus in the New Testament church. Now, just go to the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Verse 59. And he said to another person, Come, follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach the kingdom of God. Verse 61. Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. <laughs> Dear ones, it's as if Jesus tried to talk all three out of following him. Now, I don't have the time to go into the exegesis of what each three of those situations actually equate to in our life, but I can tell you this. No excuses and total abandonment is what Jesus requires. I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to bring the kingdom of heaven into our lives on an everyday basis so that we become the New Testament church we read about in the book of Acts. I really believe that it's God's will that heaven invade earth and that what we read about in the New Testament when they performed signs and wonders and miracles. Demons were cast out. The sick were healed. Hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ and joined the church. I really believe that's God's will for the New Testament church today. But we have a problem. Our churches are filled with people who love belonging. They love the acceptance and the forgiveness. They, they love all of the, you know, the lattes and the music and being able to sit out in cushy seats and painted walls and, you know, the nice edifices that we build today for the church. They love all that. And they even will get into doctrine. They'll even get into arguing about points of view. But they arrive at one place. You know, it, it's, it's really a, not about what you believe. Jesus just loves you no matter what. And all of a sudden comes this clarion call that says, no, if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, I require two things. No excuses and a total abandonment of your life to me. He's asking us this morning, have we been offering him excuses for why we're not involved? Have we offered him excuses for why we're not on assignment sharing the good news have we offered him excuses for why after 10 15 20 years we're still compromising in an area of our life instead of actually teaching the word of God Jesus said if you want to follow me take up your cross daily abandon everything 
It would be the equivalent, these are his words, it would be the equivalent of hating your family members, letting somebody else go to the funeral of your father, and you being homeless in order to follow me. Now folks, I do not believe God wants us homeless. And please, if a funeral's upcoming in your family, go, be a witness, bring the kingdom of God to bear. But Jesus is giving us an analogy. He's saying your love, your abandonment to me compared to any other thing in life must be absolute. I require that of you. There's a book written by a gentleman named David Platt called Radical, and I quote, quote unquote, where determined not to, where determined not to waste our lives on anything but uncompromisingly, unconditional abandonment to a gracious, loving Savior who invites us to take a radical risk and promises radical reward, then the kingdom will manifest. Bill Johnson in his book, When Heaven Invades Earth, said, when we become satisfied apart from God's ultimate purpose of dominion, we learn to tolerate the devil in some area of our life. Dear ones, the scripture teaches us to resist the devil and he will flee. Third John or First John 3 verse 8 For this purpose was the Son of God made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews chapter 2, the end of the chapter Christ disarmed principalities and powers making an open show of them. I am born again. He's filled me with the Spirit. I'm a child of God. Heaven has come down into Jeff Corson. And I have all the power available to me that Jesus walked in when he walked on this earth. But there's an issue. Sometimes I offer God excuses regarding my purpose. Sometimes I offer him excuses for why I can't be in community. Other times I offer him excuses for why I won't be obedient to an assignment. And he reminds me lovingly, Jeff, you said you would follow me. I want to remind you that requires absolute abandonment to what I say and to you obeying what you've heard. May God help us to do that. Let's stand to our feet.